0: Scripture passage this evening is Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 20, probably a very familiar passage to uh, some of you, Pew Bible page 1,524, 1,524. And now as you're turning there, let me remind you that we've been uh, in a series in our evening services speaking about the arts of spiritual conversations how we, uh, how we live evangelistically in such a way as to um, provide opportunities to engage in spiritual conversations with uh, people we have yet to meet, with people that we pray for often, with people who are in our family or in our sphere of friends or in our workplace, in order that we may uh, engage them with the gospel In a way that is becoming of Christians, in a way that is um, welcoming, loving, praying, noticing others. So let's read together Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Many of us probably would think it was strange if we took a particular uh, parenting model or approach that said this, all right, children, this is what we're going to do. Next week, I'm going to give you a test on all the elements of doing the dishes, on what order you're supposed to put the dishes in the dishwasher, how you're supposed to put the knives into the uh, sil- silverware holder in the dishwasher, how you're, meant- you're supposed to rinse and make sure all of the big crusty pieces are off the plates before you put them in the dishwasher. And I'm going to quiz you on that next Friday, so make sure you study. All right, children, I'm going to give you a test on how to clean your room the proper way, the way you're supposed to put your clothes up in your uh, closet, the way you're supposed to organize all your toys, and then next week I'm going to quiz you on that. Now, that's strange to us because we know that the best way for our children to learn how to do the dishes is to do the dishes, Not to test them on how to do the dishes. The best way for our children to learn how to clean their room or to do their chores. Is not to take a test on the knowledge concerning what way they're meant to do it. But it is to actually do it. Yet, much of our approach when it comes to evangelism does not take that Model into consideration. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. We're going to be looking at the uh, the art of facilitating, facilitating. So, and I want to particularly focus on one element of this. Our theme tonight: living evangelistically. Means trusting the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts and minds of those we are trying to reach. Living evangelistically means trusting the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts and minds of those we are trying to reach. And I believe a practical outworking of that dependency upon the work of the Holy Spirit is this concept or this idea of facilitating, facilitating uh, self-discovery in those that we are welcoming into our homes, that we are loving, that we are sharing our lives with. And so we're going to look at this in three parts. The first part is going to be basically uh, breaking down what I mean by facilitating. What does that mean and what does that look like? Uh, The second part is going to be looking at Jesus as a model for this kind of um, spiritual conversation, this kind of uh, leading them along, right? And then the last part is we're going to look at some core values of facilitating that will help us um, practically work these things out in our relationships that we, are, um, that we have that we're seeking to uh, move towards conversations about faith and about the important things of life, salvation in Christ, so on and so forth. So let's look at point number one. This idea of facilitating, okay? William Barclay said... It is only when truth is self-discovered that it is appropriated. When a man is simply told the truth, it remains external to him, and he can quite easily forget it. When he is led to discover the truth for himself, it becomes an integral part of him, and he never forgets it. In essence, this is what self-discover or this is what facilitating is about. It's it's about self-discovery. When somebody discovers something for themselves, for themselves, whenever somebody comes to a realization on their own, when they are working through something, when they are trying to understand something and they grasp it for themselves, facilitate a, a, de- a definition is to make easier or less difficult or to help forward. So, uh, less difficult. I think I spelled difficult wrong, which is ironic. Help forward. That's what facilitating means as a definition. And there are two general approaches to the idea of learning. So you could call these philosophies of learning. One is a telling approach. And one is a asking approach. A telling approach and an asking approach approach, okay? A telling approach is what is often called a didactic version or didactic way of teaching. It's one individual who is the expert telling passive listeners what they know about a certain topic. So you could put preaching into this category of didactic teaching. I'm up here You expect that this week I've studied what this is all about from the Scriptures and that I'm here to present that to you. Now, don't be too passive and fall asleep on me, okay? Then there's the inductive approach of learning. And this is where a teacher creates an environment in which the participants can all be active discoverers. And so the leader in this case is more a guide, helping people make discoveries for themselves. And one way that you could think of this inductive approach is the practice of catechism. Question and answer style, okay? Now, because we have the catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, written down in, in written form, we can often turn it into a, a, a didactic approach by expecting that everyone would, remem- would memorize every aspect of it. And so memorization is not necessarily a taking in what they're learning. That's why if I ask a question of my sons and they don't give me a catechism answer, but they explain it in their own words, I'm okay with that. Because it means... They're feeding it through their understanding. They're they're giving it in their words, in their language, okay? But we have a a fast-paced culture full of distractions and media overload. And I believe what this does is it often creates uh, less opportunities for the asking, inductive approach to learning. That is to say, there used to be a time, there used to be a time when the sermon was a part of the Sunday dinner conversation. What was the pastor talking about today? What did you get from the sermon? What do you think the Bible teaches about this particular subject? And it would be on the minds of the people, and they would be thinking through these things, and I Hope and pray that many of you are still doing that. And that's just within the church. But outside of the church, amongst unbelievers, there's a lot more passive taking in of entertainment and all the things that can distract our minds, endless hours of YouTube videos, endless binge watching of Netflix TV shows that people aren't thinking deeply. They aren't considering the big things of life, like, we're all going to die someday. What's this life all about? What's my purpose? Why was I created? There's not much of that going on. So I think that provides very little time to process individually what you believe about God. God. And in conjunction with this media frenzy and this distraction-filled world, we have a breakdown of what I would call cultural cornerstones, traditional family, close-knit communities. It means that all these Christian principles that many of us were raised with are not naturally modeled. And they aren't developed in organic relationships. This is um, uh, something that I heard at one of the prayer meetings that we had. Where uh, one of the pastors there said that he spoke to a kid in South Holland that didn't know who Jesus was. I mean, can you imagine that? Never heard the name Jesus in South Holland. So this is a real, real reality that we're facing. And it means that we need to create more opportunities to discuss and process biblical teaching. To discuss and process biblical teaching. Now, I want us to see this concept as a complement to preaching and teaching. Helping people focus long enough to process and understand what's being presented. You You can use the the sunday's sermon as a bridging point or as a st- conversation starter for someone in the middle of the week to get them to ponder these realities the idea is to help someone learn the focus being in this concept on the learner rather than the teacher the focus being on the learner rather than the teacher And the teacher, they're there to help the person learn themselves. So in my example, it would be something like uh, this telling approach would be me asking my kids to make sure they knew to study for the test for doing the dishes next week. But the asking approach or the inductive approach would be more like, hey, buddy, come up here next to me. We're going to do the dishes together, and I'm going to show you how it's done. Right? Okay? But there is a fear. There is a fear in this approach. And there is a difficulty. I think I spelled difficulty wrong too. Maybe it just looks weird to me. It's the realization that this approach to spiritual conversations, to um, living evangelistically is that you don't control the process. You don't control the process. And I think for for some of us, theologically minded, reformed folk, we don't do too well at this approach because we feel like We've got all the right answers, and we want to tell you, and we feel like if someone says something that's hmm, a little off, we need to make sure, you know, our little heresy buzzer goes off, and we're like, beep, beep, heresy, and then we want to correct them real quick rather than maybe saying something like... I don't know about that. Maybe you should look up this verse and, and study that and see what that says, okay? So here's the concept, though. Some have said that you remember 20% of what you hear. I don't know why I'm in this career then, if that's the case, but here we are. You remember 30% of what you see, 70% of what you say, and 90% of what you do yourself. And I don't know if that's scientific at all, but you get the concept, Right? Doing things yourself uh, leads to retaining more of what you're learning, retaining more of what you're trying to absorb and trying to discover. And this pertains not only to uh, things in life like learning how to do chores, but also uh, spiritual conversations, uh, discovering the truths about God, and about His Son, about salvation, and so forth. Okay, So let's look at Jesus as the model. Our scripture passage um, tonight is Matthew 1613 through 20 and I chose this for a couple reasons. One, uh, we need to keep in mind that Christ did s- stand on the side of a mountain and preach to a lot of people, and he approached things in a talking perspective or he approached things in a didactic perspective. He taught to passive listeners in the Sermon on the Mount and in other places. Um, But Christ also focused upon a smaller group of people called his 12 disciples. And you could say this was his small group, 12 disciples. And there was even an extension of this that went down to three, right? Peter, James, and John. And there were opportunities where Christ had the 12 disciples to himself, and he began to instruct them, and he began to teach them, and you could see this kind of inductive approach that he took in teaching his disciples. And when Christ is here in this passage is asking questions about the Son of Man, he's taking that inductive approach, the asking approach, right? Look at what he says. When Jesus came to the region of Philip, he Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He knows who the Son of Man is. He's the Son of Man. He could say, I'm the Son of Man. But he didn't. He asked a question. He asked a question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And he let the disciples answer. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, right? But then he asks, what about you? Who do you say I am? And then, of course, the famous answer from Simon, Peter, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You see the inductive approach working here. Pay attention in this passage to the way Christ asks questions. But not only that, pay attention to the way Christ reveals that the Holy Spirit is actually the one at work revealing his true identity to Peter. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. This is not revealed to you by man, but by my my Father in heaven. I'm having a horrible time talking tonight. Um, And so there's a dependency here. That even Christ expressed or the necessity of the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to the disciples. And he revealed this true identity of Christ to Simon, Peter. And it's important that we see this and say, not just because Jesus did it, we should do it. Um, but that there is a legitimacy to this approach when it comes to uh, engaging in spiritual conversations. Leading people to self-discovery. Leading people to think about these things themselves. Beginning to be actively participating in trying to grasp what the Bible is teaching. Trying to grasp what these things in their life mean. Trying to grasp how God is working in their lives. This is just one example among many uh, where Jesus participates in this inductive approach and asking questions and trying to seeking to draw out from the people there in his audience the meaning of what he is speaking of the meaning of what he is teaching, wanting to hear it from their own uh, mouth, their own words. So Jesus is a model for us in approaching this kind of. Uh, this kind of model for spiritual conversations so let's look at this last point then these core values so maybe many of you are thinking okay this is all all neat and all but you know how am i supposed to how am i really supposed to begin to engage in this and i want us to remember that these um, Nine arts of spiritual conversations are building upon each other, okay? So the first things we talked about were noticing others around us, praying for them, and then going to them, asking particular questions, engaging in conversation with them, beginning to build a relationship with them, loving them enough to be, partic- to participate in their lives, to invite them into your life, to show them that you respect them and that you want to have a relationship and build a friendship with them, and then welcoming them into your life by inviting them into your home, by inviting them into your space, by inviting them into your opportunities and in your time. And so this next aspect of facilitating is then... What do you do once you've welcomed them? How are you supposed to lead them in these spiritual conversations once you've welcomed them? And that's what this facilitating is about. Spiritual transformation in a small group requires more than just getting a group of believers or skeptics together to talk about God and the Bible. And it looks way different then a lecture scaled down to a small group monologue. There are many small groups. Uh, small group is a popular model of, of uh, ministry these days, breaking down your church into uh, small groups that meet in homes and study God's word. Uh, that's not necessarily what I'm saying here. I'm saying as you build these relationships, maybe you say, I'd like to, you know, To talk about spiritual things with you guys. Would you be interested in coming over and, and and you know doing a little Bible study or something with us? There's two ways that you can do this. One way I've seen often is that all week, somebody who's a small group leader studies the passage that they're looking at and then reads all the commentaries, reads everything that they need to know. They've got a really long list of all the cool notes and ideas that they've come up with and they've learned while they've been studying, and they can't wait to come to the small group and tell everyone about it. But what tends to happen if that's your approach to small group is that all the other attendees to the small group realize you'll do the studying for them. And they don't have to study for themselves. And so they become passive participators. Learning from the expert. Another approach is to do all the learning that this person would do except come with good questions that would engage the people who are in your small group to think for themselves about what this means, about what this is teaching, about what this is saying, so that they come to this meeting or small group or whatever it may be, knowing that they are going to be called upon To think for themselves. They're going to be called upon to think for themselves. A thriving small group focuses upon having strong inductive resources and clear guidelines that create an environment of self learning. And this is something that can be done in a one-on-one conversation as just as much as it can be done in a small group with three or four or five other people, okay? But in order to get started, there have to be core values, beliefs that can be expressed simply to people from a wide variety of spiritual starting points. So let's say you decide you're going to start a, a small group at your home where you're going to invite skeptics in to begin to discover the things of God, okay? And this is what I'm saying these things are. It's like laying the groundwork for the, the culture you want to create in this small group. They provide a common ground and create an inviting environment for a group to learn in. So these are, these are the uh, four core values that should help you begin to create a culture where you can have this inductive approach, this asking approach of self-learning, self-discovery approach uh, when it comes to engaging in spiritual conversations with people, okay? So number one is self-discovery. Talked about it a little bit, but self-discovery. People grow and learn when they discover truth for themselves through discussion and study. Now, this does not mean that um, you can always get by with the um, the very dangerous statement in a Bible study, which is, "Well, this verse means to me," because there's only one right meaning to the verse, right? But it's a, it's a, it's an engaging, right? Another uh, of these values is the safe place. Self-discovery, safe place. An ideal environment for spiritual growth in a small, is in a small group where personal dignity is valued and leadership is shared. So um, people are going to come and feel comfortable to begin to engage in spiritual conversations. That they feel that they are loved, they are valued, that their input is important. And that they're all there learning together. And this is a journey. For everyone, okay? The third value is much of what I've attempted to focus upon tonight. It's the Spirit, Holy Spirit. This approach to engaging in spiritual conversations means that we're going to have to trust that the Holy Spirit will guide those who are spiritually open to the truth of His Word. It means that we aren't always going to be the one that says, this is what you need to know. One, two, three, four, five. But that we trust that God, through this study and through these conversations, is working to bring them, by His Spirit, to a realization of who Christ really is, that He is the Christ, the Son of God, as Peter says, right? And then the last element, I got all the way down the bottom here, is Scripture. Not because it's last in importance, but it's just the way I ordered them, I don't know. The Bible and the life of Jesus should be the focus of facilitating. That is, that when you are facilitating these conversations, these opportunities for self-discovery and self-learning, uh, as you are considering questions that are prompting and helpful to draw people in to think on these things and ponder these things themselves, the content that should be at the center is the content of the Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of God. Because that's where the power is. It's in the Word of God. The power is in them hearing the Word of God and God using His Word as a means to draw unto him Himself by the Holy Spirit. This approach to spiritual conversations, I believe, requires a different perspective than we are commonly used to. It means we stop being the people with all the answers, And start being the one that stimulates conversations by asking good questions. It means we don't always jump to correct someone's misunderstanding. But rather point them to scriptures for further study. It means that we must trust the Holy Spirit to be at work in the hearts and minds of those that we are sharing the gospel with. That he is the one leading them to truth and to discover who Christ is. He's the one that opens the hearts of sinners to believe. He's the one that leads people to saving faith in Christ. And he's the one that reveals Christ to others. We're here to share the good news and to help people discover for themselves the truth of the scriptures. But there are are ways that are beneficial to do that and there are ways that can be harmful. And I believe that if we with all the things that we've considered, loving, asking, noticing, praying, welcoming, that if we incorporate these, this perspective upon spiritual conversations, of being a facilitator of conversation and discovery, that we will see God work mightily and powerfully by His Spirit to bring people to salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time that we could consider what your word teaches. We could consider how we should speak to others in this culture and environment where so many are hostile to your ways, the truth of Christianity, that your son, Jesus Christ, could provide a great example to us of how to engage in spiritual conversations with those who are on a path of discovery. How we can love and welcome people into our lives in such a way that they begin to open up to us about their spiritual journey, what they believe, what their convictions are, what's brought them to that. And that we can be lovers of people in such a way that we could facilitate their learning more of you and your ways. And the way of salvation from their sins by faith in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.